My name is Claudia Pribola, the Chief Operating Officer at the New Jersey Elder Law Center at Goldberg Law Group. In my role as COO, I am confronted daily with families in need, in need of attention, resources, and a plan. These families all have one thing in common, and they may not even know it. They all seek the one thing that their senior members can provide them, and that all parents might provide their children and grandchildren. They're looking to maintain their legacy. My name is Clelia Pergola, and I am here to focus on your legacy. Thank you, Roseanne. Roseanne DeTorres, she is joining us today. She is the managing partner and co-founder of DeTorres and New George Family Law. They have offices in Morristown and Flemington, New Jersey. D&D is a boutique law firm, just like New Jersey Elder Law Center, specializing in divorce and family law. And the firm prides itself on settling 99% of all divorce cases without going to court in about half the time of the statewide average. Pretty impressive. Roseanne is one of 150 attorneys in the state of New Jersey that is certified by the New Jersey Supreme Court as a matrimonial law attorney. She was named New Jersey Super Lawyers List for 2015 to 2021. She's been named Top 25 Leading Women Entrepreneur in 2017. Her firm was named one of the top 500 fastest growing law firms in the U.S. by Law Firm 500, named 10 Best Attorney in Family Law for Client Satisfaction by the American Institute of Family Law Attorneys, and is a recipient of the Mary A. Mullahand Service Award from the Boy Scouts Patriots Council in 2019. Her firm's the recipient of 2018 Small Business of the Year Award for the Morris County Chamber of Commerce and the Woman Achievement Award from m and Bank in 2019. She's also named Enterprising Women Champion in 2018. I am definitely going to have to write that up for everybody for all these accomplishments, Roseanne. She is uh, also a member of a board of trustees of the Women's Center for Entrepreneurship and an active member of Impact 100 Garden State and previously served as the board of trustees for Anderson House, a halfway house for women recovering from alcohol and drug dependency and for women's crisis services, now known as SAFE in Hunterdon, helping victims of domestic violence and sexual assault. She has been a volunteer attorney for many years representing victims of domestic violence. She's also an author of two books, Breakthrough Results and Divorce, The Answers You Need Before, During, and After. Roseanne, wow, what a bio. Welcome. I didn't know you were gonna read all that. I gotta give you the short version. No, no, we got it. We have to let our listeners know a little background on you. and. The women that I have and are going to have on this podcast have such amazing accomplishments, and that's only the professional. That's not even personal. So, um, do you realize how much you've accomplished? It's hard to it's hard to hear all that in one fell swoop like that. Um, it is. Uh, I am blessed. I have been blessed, and. Uh, to be recognized by my peers and by the business community. I'm loving, I'm, 
it, it never seemed like work to me. You know, I've always just kind of, you know, done my thing and uh, loved coming to work and loved building a business and loved networking and getting to know the business community and my getting to know my peers and developing friendships with my peers. So it, it always just seemed like the natural order of things. But when you read it like that, it's a, uh, it is, uh, it makes me feel humble and blessed to, to hear that, you know, God has, has really shined a light on me. And I hope that I can give that back, you know, in my firm and to the community. Well, I'm in the community and you're definitely giving it back. <laughs> I am blessed to be surrounded by you and call you one of my great friends. Well, thank you. And likewise. So interestingly enough, I didn't know about the Anderson house. Oh, you didn't? Mm -hmm. No. So Anderson oh. house actually was a sponsor of this competition to give away a wedding. It was oh. uh, a jeweler that's in your area. Roman jewelers. Yes. Roman jewelers. And big shout out to them. Very nice family. And they picked uh, five different charities and then picked five different couples that were engaged and they would win a wedding. And Anderson House, of course, I was in this. And Anderson House was our charity. So uh -huh. I got to go there and be introduced to the, the ladies there. And we raised uh, about $10,000 for them. Wow. And Brandon and I Congratulations. were, yeah, I was like 25 years old. So it, it was a very nice. Uh, we probably crossed paths. <laughs> probably. I still, now, did, did you get the wet? Did you win the wedding? I didn't. So the winner, which is not fair, I think personally, <laughs> they had special Olympics. So uh, I feel like Special Olympics is like a brand name, whereas Anderson House is more of a local name. Yeah. So I had a little bit more of work to do to let people know like what Anderson House is about. And I think, you know, and going into this and, and your kind of background is there's different feelings on drug and alcohol addiction. And I don't think that there is a sort of stigma around um, the Special Olympics, right? So yeah, I can appreciate. I think that's a little bit of a challenge. So uh, tell me how you you're so involved in like domestic violence and and all of this. So why is that such an interest to you? Well, I have a recovery story. So the Anderson House was uh, uh, you know part of that experience. Uh, it's been some. It's been many years since I sat on the board there, but. Um, that, that was why um, I gave my time to that institution. And then I was on the board of directors for, uh, it's now known as SAFE in Hunterdon, which is the domestic violence agency in Hunterdon County. I've also been a volunteer attorney for different domestic violence agencies in Hunterdon, Somerset, Warren County, Morris County. And reason the reason being is number one, I, I feel for the 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 less fortunate the the people that are behind the eight ball and victims of domestic violence often experience at least seven occurrences of 
some form of abuse before they even try to leave their abuser. I am a survivor of domestic violence myself. I've been in the court system. I've experienced uh, abuse from a partner and I know what it's like, how shameful I felt. Now I also had to appear in front of lawyers and judges because the court rooms are public that I practice law in front of, but I was there as a victim. And so I know what that feels like. And I think that, you know, people ask me all the time, how can you be a divorce lawyer? Oh, it's so hard. And the emotions and the challenges of people's being in crisis all the time. But I don't know. It just suits me. It, you know, God gave me the right personality to help, the, the, you know, these people, especially victims of abuse, um, to be good at helping them get protection that they need and to move forward with their lives. So it's something that I feel like, like I've been called to do. And so I do it. That's interesting. And you said you were a victim and you were there in front of your peers. So you were an attorney when this all happened. Yes. I was been extremely challenging. I, you know, I, I took me, a long time to ask for help because I didn't want anybody to know. And that is the experience of the victim, every victim. They are ashamed, embarrassed. They don't want anybody to know that this is really going on in their personal life. They think the person's going to change. The cycle of domestic violence is such that when an incident occurs, there's a, a pattern of behavior, of remorse, of wooing, the honeymoon phase starts again, wooing, promising it's never going to happen again. I, I'm going to get help. I, I'm going to change. So you take them back. You say, okay, it's going to, this is going to be the last time. And that goes on and on and on. And so it's very easy to be lulled into complacency. And so I know exactly what that felt like because I did not want to go to court and stand up in court and testify against my abuser and tell the horrible things that this person did to me that were so private and personal. I didn't want people to know that my relationship was terrible, you know? I can imagine that it feels uh, embarrassing <laughs> as well as a, a form of failure to yourself, like, right? Yes. That you blame yourself for what happens. Yes, exactly, exactly. So at what um, point did, you said there has to be usually, typically seven occurrences. What happened that made you realize like enough's enough, I, I, I need to get help? In my, in my circumstance, it was a couple things. I was uh, stalked at work and I felt very scared that I was, uh, they came actually into my office. I was there at night working late and I guess somebody forgot to lock the front door <laughs> and I was there by myself and I, you know, I couldn't get rid of, you know, I couldn't get out of there. So I couldn't, I couldn't say, I couldn't protect myself. And then another time they interacted when I was not aware of it with my daughter who was in a gymnastics school. And I found out later that they had been going there. And of course my daughter was, young and didn't understand that that was not appropriate. And I 
just came out, you know, how kids are, you realize. And I was shocked. And so that was the, the last straw. Those things just, you know, that there's a, there's mental ill. Usually people that are abusers that can't control their behavior have some kind of mental illness or impulse control issues. You know, right. I mean, we all get angry, but what do you do with that? Right. You get disappointed. You get, you know, but what do you do with that? If you can't control your impulses to, to then, then you need to get help. Right. And to, to have your impulses hurt someone else emotionally and physically, especially physically, it's, I mean, you're on a whole nother level. Exactly. And, and it's, and it is, it's sad. Um, you know, the, I like to educate myself on Buddhism and that's, a form of their belief is that it's, you have to look that person like they're, they're suffering Mm -hmm. and that they're really going through something and that they're sick, that they're sick. Well, I mean, the compassion only goes so far when it's, when it's you, you know, uh, I knew it was an unhealthy place to be. And, and I certainly didn't want that my daughter to be part of that. And, uh, so at some point, you know, I just had to say, I need to get help. They just wouldn't stop. Well, and I think as women, we like to fix things. We like projects. We <laughs> like to know that we've succeeded and we can turn something around. So the abuse is almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy because it's like, okay, like you said, like, okay, it gets better and then it gets worse and there there is there's the up and down and uh i think as you get older and experience more things in life you've learned how to control those ups and downs and you know hopefully you know as you get older and if you're in this sort of relationship you realize that it's really just it's not healthy for you at the end of the day because it is all about you it is not it's not about the person, right? You're standing for, you're standing for something and it's, that's not fair to you. There's, there's also a gaslighting that goes on where the abuser convinces you that it's kind of your fault that they're acting out like that. Because if you just acted a certain way, I wouldn't be so angry. And if you did this, I wouldn't do that. And you buy into that, um, that kind of, it's kind of uh, sociopathic behavior where you start to question, am I really responsible for this? And uh, when it happens repeatedly, it wears you down mentally and you begin to believe that they're right about that. Um, And to your point of trying to fix things, okay, well, if it is partly my fault, then I got to work harder at, you know, being a better partner. Right. What do I need to do? So he, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, those always have been, you know, domestic violence for those reasons always been like near and dear to my heart and uh, wanting to help other women who experience that get safe. How old was your daughter when, when the, this uh, young five, six. Okay. So she was, she was a young, young child. And you want to tell us a little bit about your, your daughter? Cause I, I would love to tell you a little bit. Her. 
She's going to kill me when she hears this. But She's fabulous, um, everybody. <laughs> my daughter, Anne Marie, is 30 years old now. She's an attorney. She's uh, she's a chip off the old block, as they say. I never expected her to go to law school when she told me she was going to go to law school. I thought, oh, my God, what are you, are you crazy? Uh, I never thought of her as studious or, or scholarly. She was kind of an apathetic college and high school student. She was into fashion and makeup. She always looked very pretty and took good care of herself. And But she took to the law very well. And she, she did great in law school. She was on the law review. She got excellent job working in the appellate court as a judicial clerk. She works for a very big firm. I'm not going to say what firm it is. She works in an international firm in labor and employment representing company, big companies. And she loves it. She's doing terrific. She's engaged to be married to a very nice young man named Ken. They're getting married next September, not this September, next September. Um, she lives very close to me. She's like my, she's, she's just my heart. My kid is just, I talk to her every day. Uh, I'm impressed by her. She impresses me. Her, with her, her wisdom, her, her competence, her, 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 how well she lives, like she, she knows how to navigate life. And I always, when I look back on my life and I think when I was 30, I was like sort of a mess. <laughs> and I was still practicing law, but I was not together. You know, I was, you know, I was bad in relationships. I, I didn't take very good care of myself physically. Um, and she just, you know, she impresses me. And, and I, what I like most, I think, is that She's now my friend, if you will. She counsels me. Like, you, you know how you counsel your kids? I know you have young kids at home, your boys. You know, you're the, you know, now she's kind of like parental, parentaling me or whatever, per, parenting me. Yeah. You know, mom, do you really want to do that? Um, are you going to wear that to, the, to that occasion? Are you sure you want to wear that? Um, she's my fashion consultant. She's my home decorating consultant. She's, she's, uh, she knows how to cook. She's just a terrific person and a terrific human being. I love her to pieces. And I've been so blessed with her and never, she's never gotten any trouble. Knock on wood. Uh, you know, not like me. You got so, some wood up, up there. What's that? You have some wood up there in that head. Yeah. Yeah. So she's terrific. And, uh, um, we play golf together a lot. Uh, we go to yoga every Saturday morning at the gym and, um, yeah, she's a, she's a, she's a terrific human being and I'm so lucky to have her in my life. I'm not, I was not married to her father for very long, but um, uh, I am so grateful that that child came along and helped me to grow up. She's, she's helped me in so many ways. I can't even to grow as a, as a person. She is beautiful. Every time I, Hang out with her and her presence. Her smile lights up a room. She's very welcoming. She has a beautiful aura. She's a beautiful person. Yeah. Uh, and so, and and I think, you know, going into legacy, right? I think that's kind of what it's all about, right? The the things you can't touch, mm -hmm. right? The things you can't see, the things that you feel, and. Yeah. I'm interested to know, usually we're going right into it, but what's 
the one thing that you want her to remember you for? Like they always say like at your eulogy, right? When someone's reading your eulogy, like what would she, what would you want her to say about you and remember? You know, it's funny you're talking about legacy. You know, we're talking about legacy when it comes to her because she's getting married and she's my only child. And I had a conversation with her about whether she's going to take her fiance's last name and he's traditional and he wants her to, but she likes her last name. And we do not share the same last name because she has her father's last name. And I was thinking about what I would say at her wedding, because I've been, I've asked for and been offered a two minutes in front of the microphone. <laughs> what am I going to say? I've got a lot of time to think about it, but she is the last of my kind, meaning she's all that's left of me after I go. There's no, I don't have any other children. I'm not going to have any other children. There's no other person that's going to carry on my name. My brother's children obviously have my name, last name, but, but my legacy goes to her. And so if I had to think about what I would want her to remember, I have written her a letter. It's uh, somewhere around here. I think it might be in my safe that I've told her and my partner, Beth, about if anything happens to me, just find the letters and uh, read them. And, and I wrote about, you know, what I wanted her to remember me, uh, you know, by. And, and, and really it's just the usual kind of, important stuff that's really the foundation of any human life and any human relationship or a good human relationship. And that's that I loved her, that I did the best I could with her and for her, that I was kind and that we had a lot of fun together and that she should go, she should go on without a tear and just, you know, and live, live a glorious, fulfilled life. And, and, and especially give back because we have been so blessed as a family. We have to do for the community. That's if you, you know, for to whom much has been given much is expected. And so please, you know, in the letter I said, please use your resources working at this big firm with lots of money to help other people, because at the end of the day, nobody is going to remember your house you lived in, the car you drove, the fancy clothes, the handbags, which I know you and me, we like our fancy handbags. They're not going to remember, but they're going to remember how you made them feel. I was like, Roseanne, be easy with that comment. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to remember how you made them feel and what you did for others. And it's never too late to do for others. It's always the right time. And so you can do that even in your small neck of the woods, wherever you find yourself. And, and, and I can do it even in my firm for my team, uh, you know, elevating people, giving them opportunities to succeed, rewarding them financially and with other things. But also in the greater community, I think we have a social responsibility if you have the means to help other people. And I, I've encouraged her to do that. So in terms of legacy, it would have to be that I walked the walk, not just talked the talk, that I gave back to her and to my community as it was given to me. Stay tuned for our next episode.